0: Welcome, welcome to the second episode of the Revolutionary Star for the year 2020. I hope you're all well and you're all good. I am Super Cabral, broadcasting live and direct from Harare, Zimbabwe, to the comfort of wherever you are right now in our global world. Today is Sunday, the 31st of January, 2020. And again, thank the Lord that we're here for another week. We're still in that Corona lockdown. And we just want to say, stay blessed wherever you are out there in this global world. Today, we're going to talk about Amilcar Cabral and how, if it's any way impossible, his social political thought can be applied to Zimbabwe or what we can glean from it. This is going to be a real quick one-two-one-two, one, two, but uh, we thought we would touch upon him now. Before we delve into who Amilcar Cabral is, as you all know, my pseudonym as a comrade here on a thing is Super Cabral. And uh, a mentor, his political thought, Uh, is uh, one of the pillars that here the revolutionary star and myself personally lean upon for guidance in uh, trying to construct a new ideological social construct which we can push for the common man within zimbabwe first and foremost and then africa from a pan-africanist perspective so he was assassinated on the 20th of january he was assassinated on the 20th of January. Born in September the 12th, uh, he was assassinated on the 20th of January. So this month of January is his anniversary. So we thought it would be only befitting uh, a national, uh, no, actually uh, uh African leader to give props to somebody who was really overlooked by, by a lot of historians because he never really had a concrete... Um, journal or books or anything that he wrote that could actually uh, figure out who this man was. So let's get into it. Again, today is Sunday, the 31st of January, 2020. And we are going to talk about Amilcar Cabral and how his social thought Uh, relates to Zimbabwe or does it even permeate into our Zimbabwean construct or our identity? Or is there a lack thereof? Is there somewhere where we can actually get into that gist of what Amilcar Cabral stood for when he was a revolutionary? Who is Amilcar Cabral? Well, he was born same time as Mugabe, same year. So this gentleman, Hero, was born in 1924 in the territory of what is now called uh, Guinea-Bissau. He and his family had uh, moved to Cape uh, Verde, uh, which is along the western coast of Africa, for those of you who don't know. And if you're a comrade and you don't know where these things are, you just buy a map, comrade. Buy a map. Or in these days, Google. You know, uh, bundles may be a bit difficult, but just know where these places are. If you do not know, hey, you now has uh, had several countries in Africa ratify the African passport. Zimbabwe is one of those signatories just saying it's just a side note so uh, Cape Verde for those who do not know is along the west coast of Africa this is where when he was still young he spent his time there right This guy was uh, super good in his studies. That the Portuguese, the Portuguese government actually saw that this guy has the potential and then they actually awarded him a scholarship. And from that scholarship he went on Did this thing, ended up going to the University of Lisbon School of Agriculture. So just by saying Portuguese, you already know which colonial master we are dealing with when it comes to Africa. Born 1924, same time as Mugabe. Uh, This guy was quickly uh, seen on the radar for the Portuguese government. They scooped him up took him on to uh, Portugal where he ended up getting a University of Lisbon School of Agriculture degree. Portuguese are more racist than British, but theirs was more... No, no, I apologize. Racism is racism. There is no better racism. However, the manner in which they applied racism differed. Whereas the British couched their racism in uh, an air of uh, gentleman uh, aristocracy, Uh, the Portuguese racism was a bit harsh. They really had no value for mannerisms or to try and make it soft. It was what it was. It was what it was, and uh, the Portuguese were running several countries. We know our neighbors, uh, Mozambique, especially Samora Michel, Shout out to him, uh, student of Amilcar Cabral. Uh, these people were all under the Portuguese. So, as we move on, he, he went to the University of Lisbon, got his uh, School of Agriculture. He this guy he engaged in opposition movements from the time he was in uh, in, uh, in in university uh the at the time there was an opposition movement that was trying to bring down the salazar dictatorship and uh, with the events that happened in the, around that time with the post colonial world uh, we're looking at now this is 1924 now let's fast forward now to the 1940s uh, we're looking at just after world war 2 this is when shit started popping off. People started waking up. Uh, we have uh, the independence of India in 1947. We have the Chinese revolution in uh, 1949. This is just before we get into the 50s. The 50s is when we are looking at the Cold War. This is the shit that affected Anatongo Goradanam Gavi. Right? But before we get into the 50s, we still talk about the 40s and this consciousness movement that is uh, fomenting and starting to rise up. Uh, Amilka Cabral was in this zone. Why I mentioned India... In one of our previous podcasts, we told you that a lot of white papers that were used to uh, uh, colonize and uh, subjugate the Indian people right now as a nation were the same papers that were used when they came to Africa to try and colonize Africans. So it's always good to remember India. A lot of people try and look at India through Gandhi's eyes, but no... uh, Administration, administration, administration. How do you create an organization in a framework that lasts after you've died? This is where the British did wonders when it comes to the British and the French. The British and the French did wonders. The Portuguese actually didn't have uh, a fuckery of it. But if you see it, how the neocolonialists right now move, those who set up parameters have. Uh, have had the most successes up to now in the in the expropriation of African resources. We look at how the French did it. Was different from the way the British did it. I know. Apologies. This is just a side note, but I'm trying to make you see the vacuum and the capsule that Amilcar Cabral grew up in at the time. Whereas the British had a stratified uh, hierarchical system whereby you knew where your ceiling was, right? uh this is how the ndp and these other parties ended up being from as rank because they didn't like where the ceiling was for them as intelligentsia and black bourgeoisie within the 1940s and 50s the french did it on a different uh, stage you could become a blank a black Frenchman, so they they took off the the, the ceiling and you could become french you could talk french you could actually uh, migrate to become a french person even though you're african so they did a different type of colonialism but it was the same thing gentlemen same thing same thing it was just colonialism so this is the capsule in which our comrade uh, Amilcar Cabral uh, was uh, you know uh, involved in at the time after he's graduated he's done his uh, degree. he's now a full-blown agronomist again as I said before this comrade would died in uh, January 1973 Under some circumstances that even right now, we still do not know what really happened. This man never actually got to witness uh, Guinea-Bissau's Declaration of Independence. Uh, Nothing. He never saw Portugal fall. He didn't see any of that because Portugal only fell in uh, 1974. If I'm not mistaken, when when is it? I think it was around April when uh, Portugal, the Portuguese revolution was ended. So, what was Cabral? How is it that we are talking about an agronomist? What's so important about an agronomist? I want you to remember this when I go back to Fumvudza. Remember this when I go back to Fumvudze. Because this man, not only was he a agronomist, he became a... He's known as a strategist, a military tactician. He's a, a, likened to being the von Clausewitz of Africa. If you don't know who von Clausewitz is, he was a military German... Uh, a Prussian, sorry because that time German didn't exist it was a Prussian uh, general who, who has a book called on war again comrades it's always good to just says these things comrades. these days there's books. there's so many things you can download this ish for free if you do not like reading comrade download the audio book and go to sleep while you're listening to on war Right, These are where you get some of these funny quotations that you hear that polit- uh, war is the extension of politics. That's Van cl- with. I'm just giving an example of who we, uh, Amilcar Cabral was. He's likened to people like that as in he was more known for strategic military and uh, tactics. This is how he was known. So he was a militant. Cabral headed into the interior where he tried to develop and recruit forces to fight against the colonialists. His activities uh, during the War of Liberation are often recognized as a decisive factor in both military and diplomatic terms. And he is very well known in uh, Guinea-Bissau. He formed this uh, organization called the PAIGC, which ended up being the one that uh, freed, uh, or emancipated uh, uh, Guinea-Bissau. The biography of this man is very, uh, how can I put it? It's, It's, it's sparse. It's sparse because he was on the ground. No, no, the people who are on the ground, usually, there's nobody who's really taking their notes uh, and uh, figuring out who they are. So it, I am just talking about how he was on the ground. If we were to liken him to somebody here in Zimbabwe, we would say Amilka Cabral, per ground, was like a Tongo guy. Yeah, doesn't have a lot of time to write books, but understands what he needs to do to get shit done. This is how Amilka Cabral was. Munwe per ground. In politics, this is what they say. ground ground. This is who he was. Right. To those who don't understand, Shona was saying that this guy was a practical, realist, pragmatic person who was actually working on the ground instead of just uh, being a Twitter warrior on online. And why is this important? Because this guy read the books of Karl Marx and he was a Marxist. However, he realized that you cannot be a marxist based on a foreign european way of thinking marxism has a very as a lot of very good points that can be used to help an african community but the structure of marxism and the way they want it to be done is wrong so he came up with his own structuralist marxist way of thinking which he termed, he used culture a lot. He called it. He called the people the people around the time. Culture was important to him in how you form a, 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 a political thought that, uh, how can I put cherry picks from the main thoughts, but tries and diffuses it into something that is applicable to what's on the ground. This is him. And this is where we're taking his agronomy into consideration, because uh, dependency of people on the ground uh, how you farm how you take care of crops It was important to him in the way he formed his political thought because it also formed the way he saw his political, economical thought as well and what it means to be African. This is why this man is so important because he didn't write things down, but since he was a guy, he was always practically on the ground, whether it was from the agricultural side or whether it was from the political side when he started being a guerrilla fighter. He always tried to see it from the people. He always used to mention this word, the people. As in, povo one ground. This is him. So, if he was a saint, this person would have been canonized a, a long time. He had uh, thoughts on uh, production. Uh, he, he was well known, very well known that uh, the, when he was still at the university, when he came back from University of Lisbon, he was given an opportunity to travel the whole country of Guinea-Bissau and this is where he actually, before he actually formed PAGC and wa- wa- launched a, a, a guerrilla movement, he saw the applicability of agriculture and how the system was working against the, its own people. So, this is way, why this person is very important when it comes to Western Africa and to people like Mozambique and any people who read his thoughts. It's unfortunate that this man, most of his uh, speeches and so forth are still in uh, Portuguese. He never had time to actually sit down and pen his own ideology or thought. But most people, right now, he's one of those... Um, uh, unicorns, where only social scientists and political scientists know this guy. And they've actually had a name that they've given him that they call uh, the Cabralian idea of culture, right? Because he took Marxism, right? Once he took Marxism, he, he switched it. He took African culture and he infused it within Marxism. He wanted to see Marxism from a cultural point of view from an african point of view this is very important because he thought that culture would be the 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 cure or the guide to not only emancipation yes you can fight against the oppressors but we don't have our own identity and culture so that we can move forward according to historians who've uh, analyzed the colonial war in uh, new guinea i mean sorry not New guinea guinea Bissau. One of the prime factors behind the PAIGC's political and military success was its skill in adapting to its environment. That's that agronomy coming in again. That agronomy degree. Don't forget even Samora some Samora Machel was the nurse. <laughs> but when it comes to a soldier, you never know who a soldier really is until you actually give him the, you throw him in the ocean and see if he swims. So PAIGC was well known for the way it, quickly adapted to its environment it was one of its major skills when it came to that country in its liberation war right after he finished his bachelor's degree in 1952 with a thesis focused on the township of Cuba in the Alejo region of southern Portugal uh, Cabral spent the following years working in agronomy and then he returned to Guinea as an assistant director for the agriculture and forestry services this is where he got the opportunity to travel all over uh, Guinea and to talk to villagers, gaining experiences and getting to know what it was. Uh, he also went to, he was, uh, of course, as I said before, he was educated in Cape Verde and Portugal. So before he came back, he had very little knowledge of what Africa was because he had that black bourgeoisie intelligence uh, thought process of uh, which he had been taught by the Portuguese. So moving on. Around five months in 1953, Cabral and uh, a small team traveled throughout Guinea, uh, looking at the environment, gathering information, forming uh, statistical uh, theories on the country's rural economy. But at the same time, when they were doing this, they were actually seeing ground, realizing what was going on. The knowledge of that land and the people that cabral gleaned through his experiences would become what became decisive to understanding the country's economic and social structure as well as its political and cultural circumstances and during the years that same information that he got is what he used against the same government so that they could uh, uh, become independent as a nation even though he didn't manage to be there for that so what did the PAGC do? It combined military action plans with the backdrop of economic, social, and cultural networks that sustained the guerrillas, at the same time replacing the colonial state in the governance of land and population, anticipating a form of post-colonial governance. These guys took what Zanla Zipra was doing and they supersized it, right? And this is before us here Zim, right? They they I'm um, now it's common sense for us to see where people they're like the closest example i can give to what i just mentioned what the paigc did is uh in mexico the the drug cartels they come in they take over the economic social and cultural networks and then they they become the de facto pseudo government this is the closest thing I can look now during our generation of what this guy did. But when he did it, this was uh, was innovative because they quickly took over the whole country. And while they were doing this, they were always focusing on that cultural backdrop. Cultural backdrop was very important because economic, social, culture, economic and social, it's all European but the only thing that they have that they actually own would have been that cultural backdrop which he always tried to uh, infuse within whatever he did this was his political thought process which he didn't write down but infused within his generals the teaching and remember comissars, comissars were always important portuguese are the exact same people where portuguese comissars used again so the pigc made surprising use of personal contacts knowledge and by in the, in the that he gained in the 1950s this guy from an agronomy agronomist turned into a, a very capable guerrilla fighter right and fought against the colonial state it's unfortunate this man died i'll tell you the truth because uh, yeah, from my own point of view like for example is agronomic point viewpoint, right it questions uh, the natural state of things so how can i put it the natural tone he looks at uh, people and he says that within a given population it doesn't matter how many people but people or within their culture Right. Can cultivate a larger or smaller area than what is cultivated by another with a larger or smaller population. So he's saying, depending on the cultural uh, manifestations of the people in an area, they are capable of producing, they are, they are, they are the ones who determine how productive they are on a piece of land. Yes, you can put in all the inputs, you can add everything else, but how productive is Uh, that group of people that are actually uh, tilling the land. This is He got the store when he was an agronomist. So we can look at the way we hate on not we, but the global world, the way they hate on Jews. Right now here in Zimbabwe, the way roadies stick together. They all have a culture and the more you fight against a certain ethnic group, they bond together. Those bonds strengthen them so that they create a cultural identity that drives them into a survival mode of making sure that they are as productive as possible. It maximizes their efficiency when it comes to whatever things they do. So no matter how much you try and uh, de- dis- uh, what is it? destroy them, you can't because you are strengthening them. So it was those bonds that Cabral focused on when he said that we needed a cultural identity. That cultural identity would help drive all the uh, viewpoints that we pick from the Western world or what we learn from mechanization and so forth because we know what we need to do to get shit done. This is one of his main thoughts that he always used to try and pass on to his soldiers, his fellow compatriots and uh, so forth. His aim was always to expose and expel uh, colonialists, not to necessarily kill them. Right? He just wanted to drive them out right So this is what he was always, he, this guy was not a violent person but he he revolutionized how things got uh, things got done he these are the people who influenced Ana Samora Michelle. so that's why I wanted to make sure that I always come and uh, tell you this that before anything he was an extraordinary theorist and for that reason uh, he, a very excellent practitioner when it came to groundwork. That's very rare when you look at uh, things. And it's, it's unfortunate that people like this usually never last that long. Apparently, Tongo Gara was like that as well. But again, there's very scant information on how Tongo Gara actually maneuvered. So, again, these were the dimensions that Cabral uh, moved. He called it, uh, he, he had so many words where he would describe culture. He didn't know that he was actually uh, touching on the main problem we have as Africans. He calls another one, feebleness of culture. And he said, as such, feebleness lay from the standpoint that uh, within the relations between human beings and the natural world, we need to understand each other. Before you take the science, before you take everything, understand the natural world and the environment you live in. Do you understand what that means? now once you understand it now you are at a point where you can actually get help from other people understanding your dynamics not everything that you're going to get applies to you because you now know what your natural environment is you can be given a dogma for political thought. you can be given a dogma for economic thought. you can be given capitalism you can be given democracy but do you understand it within your natural environment Hongu, you are in a very fucked up situation but now that you understand how fucked up you are You have a better eye on understanding what you need to get yourself out of the mess you are in. This is what he did. This thought process, he took it to Angola with the MPLA, the popular movement for Angola. He took it to Frelimo, the Mozambique Liberation Front. All of these people garnered this dogma. Why am I mentioning Angola and Mozambique? Because these two countries affected the political thought of our own politicians in Zapu and Zan. Zipra was Angola, Zanla Mozambique. So you see, uh, I actually am a bit jealous of Zipra commandants because they actually got to know uh, revolutionaries. We are talking about Che Guevara, uh, Amilcar Cabral. Uh, I'm jealous. However, it, it, Zanla also gained this knowledge through anna Samora Machel learning, so, Maceo Montlani learning this system. So by the time 1975 kicks off with the Mag- Magagao Declaration, this is a dogma that has already been infused within the Mozambican and Angolan uh, liberation struggle. Zimbabweans are only learning this. So when you see the ways ZANU-PF moves and the Chimbarenga ways and uh, uh, Simbaku-Povo and so forth, it's not a ZANU-PF Zimbabwean construct. And it is not Chinese. Let's get this correct again. It is not Chinese. It is a hybrid variation of different things. It's a Marxist thought that is an African product. It's an African identity. Yes, it started from the Chinese and the Marxists, but it was in infused it from it it got revised it blended into a bastardized version that is african so if you do not understand that and think you're reading a Marxist book uh, or a a communist Chinese book and think that's going to make your life easier and understanding ZAPU and zanu you're wrong because these people got to meet the Africans who di- disseminated and diluted that so that it could become a cultural thing. Unfortunately, for our own purpose, we stopped there as Zimbabweans. We never took that baton and tried to make it a Zimbabwean type thing. It stopped there. there and uh, again, language was a big issue. We are talking about Portuguese trying to teach uh, English-speaking people uh, how to break their bonds from colonialism it's hard to change an orientation for a person when you don't even control your own language they knew this so what did they say again this is what cabral said the language issue posed a problem a great challenge that the revolutionary leaders had to face so please note that uh, it's not simplistic or i'm not trying to be reductionist here but the, in the process of independence there are many broad brushes that one can use and t- many possibilities but two possibilities to the political orientation to be implemented once a national group has risen to power is that the first one would be breaking down the entire colonial structure right that includes the language breaking it all down and starting from scratch using your own language using your own type of shit right that's the first step or the second step is embracing that language and working through it so, for example, in a country like Mozambique, where they had so many disparate groups, they had no choice but to continue using the Portuguese language as a national language. In Zimbabwe, where we had so many disparate African groups with different languages and different dialects and different uh, cultural identities, we had no choice but to use the English uh, uh, construct. The problem with that is that if you are not vigilant about it, you can be recolonized without the colonizers being there. Note, the colonizers, when they did this, had no intention of some diabol- diabolical plan that they're going to be ha-ha-ha for the rest of their life. No, they did it because they wanted to maximize the productivity and the efficiency of the natives on the gl- land. The only way to do that is by using your own system from your own homeland. So if you don't understand that as an African, and you're not vigilant that Right? you re- run the risk of being recolonized or your children being recolonized because you were not vigilant. Again, the Cabrals used to talk about these things. But they were dealing with uh, a hand uh, uh, like cards that were not in their favor. But these are the things that they... Try to infuse to the Samora Michels, the, the Nyerere's. The, all these people, these people created the political identity. We are still trying to fight up to now. I think the closest country right now in Africa that is is fighting this and trying to figure out a way of life that has an African identity is South Africa. I hate to say it, South Africa has a lot of problems, but when it comes to the political thought and cultural identity, they are they are the closest to people who are actually trying to to attack this issue head on and they have an advantage that they have white people who also had to attack british people so that they could have their own identity we're talking about the Afrikaner, right so this helps the fabric of the political identity of south africans to fight this and become a south african unlike a zimbabwean where we are still trying to figure out what it means to be a zimbabwean now 1956, African Party for the Independence of Guinea (PAGC) formed. Who did I mention it? It's Cabral. By 1963, PAG begins its armed guerrilla insurgency. Within ten years, 1973, it's achieved territory and declared independence. Right? Uh, unfortunately, M'bara Cabral up until now it is not doesn't get a lot of scholarly appreciation from any, a lot of people within the global world and that's because there's scant information about this man I'm coming back to Zimbabwe Amilka Cabral Uh, his agronomy part, I don't know what it is about the land, when he comes back to PF and the land uh, it's Combining and it's tied to its people it doesn't mean when you say it doesn't mean with you every person in Zimbabwe should uh, till the land no as a person who's been outside the country there's something i can tell you about coming back to your homeland there's that emotional bond it may be illogical but it's there and you have to accept it for what it is it's there now why do we mention this is that Cabral tapped into this he realized this immediately and he automatically started to realize oh shit marxism cannot work in africa or any other type of political thought cannot work in africa if you do not accept the fact that we have a ubuntu which needs to be addressed up until now we have not done that in zimbabwe we have it we try i'll tell you again for example from voodoo is something that has been within zimbabwe for generations and generations. has just been repackaged into Fumfunza. But it's that same communal way of thinking that the government or ZANU-PF is trying to tap into that cultural identity have been, and they've been failing. But this is an African problem. It's not just in Zimbabwe, right? Sometimes when you hear the ZANU-PF saying uh, down with sanctions and so forth, yes, it's because right now, won and they're in a difficult situation. But the root cause is that we, our own cultural identity is still lacking there was a scandal recently where the there was a national dress that came in uh, into zimbabwe and they were advertising that zimbabwe now has a national dress. people were very critical of it but again it shows that the government and the parties and pf is aware that this cultural identity is something that needs to be addressed what does it mean to be a zimbabwean it is a very tricky question and i want to be honest with you comrades and this will cause a lot of uh, dissension and uh, commentary from my fellow comrades, but a true Zimbabwean, a true, 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 true Zimbabwean is a Rhodesian, a Rodi. They have cut their bridges from everywhere else, especially after the land invasions and a lot of them left. The ones who left were the ones who thought they were British. I'll tell you that. But there are those who became Zimbabwean which I up until the stage that the only thing that they did not have was a Mutupo and we have a lot of tribes here in Zimbabwe we who come who don't even have Mutupo but who came here as refugees before the white people came here so to be honest if you want to see what a true Zimbabwean is without becoming political or tribal the best example for is Zimbabwean is a Rodi, a white Rhodesian do they like Africans no but it's not as if uh, amongst ourselves as tribal people we like each other. Uh, the tribalism uh, has been fanned so that we create an enmity behind ourselves. So, why do I come back to the is Because the roadie has a culture, has a history. He is At this current time in life, is still oppressed, right? But stuck it out. Burnt all their bridges everywhere. He's like, no, I'm going to die in Africa. I'm going to die in Zimbabwe. Whether you like it or not, this is where I am, this is my home. They have created a cultural identity within their own construct in their own ethnicity and identity. However, that's the closest to becoming a Zimbabwean. If you look at a typical African, Zimbabwean, black black Zimbabwean, they cannot identify what it means to be Zimbabwean, but they can identify what it means to be a certain tribe. Whether you are Karanga, whether you are Andevele, whether you are Kalanga, whether you are Zezuru. So that's why it's difficult to call them a Zimbabwean, because they don't know as ourselves, as comrades, we do not know what it means to be Zimbabwe. It's worse with Shona people that they don't even know what it means to be Shona because Shona is a construct as well. Again, this is where Cabral always used to mention where the problem is or was with us as Africans. You cannot take political thought. You cannot take an economic thought. You cannot take all the good shit that the Western world has to offer or the Eastern world has to offer without understanding your own problems. You can't do that. Because if you are given a democracy system, And you yourselves don't even know how to use it. It's like giving your grandmother a Benz or a Ferrari and telling her to go to the shops to buy uh, some eggs. She doesn't understand the Ferrari. She may not even be able to start the car. This is where we are, right? And we need to somehow come in and figure this out. We are doing this podcast because uh, this month is the month when Amilcar Cabral died. His uh, thoughts, his political ideas... Uh, where the seeds are still there, but they have not yet germinated. Uh, the, the manner in which he taught uh, freedom fighters from Mozambique and Angola directly affected Zimbabwe. And this is where we find ourselves now, where we still need that guidance, that way that we ourselves can fix this. The good thing about this problem is that it can only be fixed by ourselves. Sooner or later, we will have to fix this. And this is what the revolutionary Star is all about. This is why myself, my name is Super Cabral, one of the many acolytes and disciples who are here to disseminate uh, the ideas and teachings and maybe help whoever it is on their journey on trying to figure out what uh, social and political construct or idea need. We need a critical race theory for Zimbabwe, which can be postulated to both these political parties. This is not a political thing. These political parties have failed when it comes to the thinking and the espousing of ideas now why am i saying ideas i'm not talking about the day-to-day running of a country no they do that all the time they're always going to fight it's a global thing political parties fight i'm talking about internally they're no longer churning out ideas on what it means to create an identity it's gone that is gone the last time zanu pf did something that had a political idea in a fabric was the mugagao declaration and that's done ever since mugagao declaration there's been nothing that has come from uh zanapir mdc the last time they did a document that was not political but it was about their political identity and social construct that was when mdc was formed and it was formed from unionist uh, roots that's when you can actually tell what it means to be mdc so you see that these guys have been both parties have been uh, basically been on pause when it comes to think tanks and people who teach what it means to create a cultural identity which is why up until now we do not have a cultural identity but tell me if i'm wrong or if i'm right but the main cause that we hear was that go google cabral learn portuguese if you can so you can hear your speeches yourself but this has been another podcast Uh, we hope you enjoyed it this has been another word here coming straight from harare super cabral roger out